Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of the Let's Talk Audio Podcast. Woohoo! So, on today's episode, we have Bonnie Bogovich. She is a video game sound designer. She has her hands in a plethora of different audio pies. She is an active vocal artist, and she is on several boards and committees in the world of audio. So, without further ado, we're going to get right on into it with Bonnie. Let's talk, Let's talk audio. 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 Okay, so I'm sorry. What were you saying about your show that you? Did? Oh, it's it's over now. I've always been a choir junkie, if you want to call it that, since like school. So even now that I'm an adult and whatnot, I, I've kept up with choirs. So like in Austin currently, Reese, like a couple weeks ago, I sang with a group called Inversion Ensemble. They do like new choral works like 20 or so singers and often they're very challenging but very pretty and very cool new pieces so we did that two weeks ago and then the one I did Saturday and last night was for the chorus Austin which is the group that normally sings with the symphony but they also have a chamber ensemble so we did a special kind of welcome back from quarantine type of concert with lots of themes of hey support each other welcome home that type of thing you know oh that's fun and also some really challenging new pieces there was one in persian there was a couple in latin you know and some very high notes and also some very low notes so <laughs> so i'm a little a little whoops but the one last night was called life songs i think we rec- we performed that one at kqfm like a radio station that has a performance hall and we had a big covid safety audience type policy with vaccination cars required and face masks on and stuff but we still had a really good show and it was beautiful and yeah so I don't know but it was a lot of singing um and it's allergy season around here the the uh, ragweed is kicked up pretty heavy so (laughs) so I was full of antihistamines and trying to sing at the same time which is always so much fun as I am popping in Allegra during this call as we speak (laughs) but yeah because uh I don't know Uh, a big part of my job is doing vocals I do a lot of voice acting and I also do um arranging and singing on choir tracks sometimes for soundtracks and things. So what's nice about keeping up with community and side gigs of singing is it keeps your voice in check and it gives you an excuse to practice every day and keep everything, you know, flowing properly. And I always kind of worry if you ever get a piece of music from someone for a chorus who's never sung in a choir before, you know, it always helps to know they understand how the instrument works and what not to do to certain people. <laughs> like, don't write a piece this high for a bass or this low for a soprano and, and vice versa. It helps if you've swum in those waters yourself before. Yeah. I think it gives you a better, you know, understanding. And also, yeah. being someone who sings in choir a lot, I know a lot of fellow choristers. And I, I've learned over time, if I ever need to bring in a couple extra voices, who do I call? Because I know who the reliable people are who can really, like, sight read like a pro and hit something right away versus people that, eh, you know, they're okay, but they don't have a good work ethic kind of thing. Interesting. 
Uh, man, I just had flashbacks to college. Uh, <laughs> when I was at university, we were required to do the audio program that I started in, but did not finish in, required that. Where'd you go? Where'd you, where was your college? I, I went to Dallas Baptist University for three years. And then I left and went to Texas State. And then I graduated from Texas State with my degree in applied mathematics. Oh, switcheroo. With a minor in music. Yeah, well. Wow. But you, but math and music, I mean, come on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of the same brain power going on for a bunch well, of yeah, I mean, stuff. I originally went to school because I wanted to learn how to be a sound engineer. That was what I went to school for in the beginning. And so their degree program was recording, but it's under the umbrella of the music school. Right. So we had to do things like mine was too. And sing and stuff. And yep. I was just like, that mm-hmm. wasn't. For me, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved choir and I loved like the, some of the skills that I learned are definitely like super helpful in some cases, but I'm not really, um, that sort of performer person. Like I love singing and like if I had the opportunity to be in a choir again, I totally would do it because I actually genuinely loved being in choir, but like I don't want to go out and like solo perform. I don't want to go out and like, be a musician in some capacity like that. And so for me, it was really difficult because I kept having to like learn how to play the piano, learn how to play the guitar, learn how to play instruments, then do these things. And I was just like, yeah, I just, when do we get to the tech stuff? (laughs) Eventually the program does go into tech stuff. It also teaches you like how to do business. And, and we took a lot of accounting classes and, it would have been valuable how I graduated from that school. So I'm not like dissing this program. Life just happened and I ended up leaving that school. And then I didn't go back to school for a couple of years. And then when I decided to go back to school, I was like, all right, well, I'm already in a different place. Yeah. So how do I continue my education that way? That's all it really boiled down to. So it wasn't like I was like mad at that. <laughs> it's very similar to the program I went to actually. And, uh, but I went to my college in particular, which was Duquesne University, because you weren't just doing a music degree. I, my degree was technically in music tech with a focus on composition, which included audio recording. But it allowed me to do that degree and also a master's in multimedia at the same time. So that within five years, you got two degrees instead of one. And the tech was a heavy focus. I still had to do the traditional music program stuff you're talking about with the mandatory recitals and concerts, but I liked choir. So I kept that as my, my assigned, like you have to be in an ensemble every semester. Uh, but I had friends who they were just there to be recording majors. And I'd say 90% of them were also luckily guitarists and they just did guitar ensemble and they had to do a guitar concert, you know, every semester. Yeah. Some did symphony, but they already knew an instrument they had, they had to going in, but you didn't have to have like a major lead. Like I, I didn't have to take solo voice lessons and worry about doing a solo of any type of concert. I just had to take one full year of piano lessons as my instrument and everything else was the the tech yeah so yeah that's not how it was for us and so I struggled I struggled a little bit because I I didn't know music I mean I love music and I loved like singing and I was in theater and stuff like that yeah but like that's a different skill set to try to transition from like Mm -hmm. into more uh technical form of music a more technical form of performing and I was like 
but I'm not, this isn't the technical that I wanted. <laughs> I know, but, but, but that's why not like all schools, right? Like you said, they all, everyone does stuff different. Yeah, they do. They do. So that one just didn't have the setup that you, that you needed at the time. Actually, I think I would have been fine graduating there. I think if life hadn't changed for me, I would have been by the third year, I kind of got in the hang of it. And so I was like, oh, okay, I got it. We're good. But I think like, life happened in that last year. And so when that happened, I was just like, look, I'm, I don't care about college right now. I don't care about anything right now. We're just going to go somewhere that's not here. And so I just love school in general. So like I said, I, I don't have anything against the program. I think it's a great program. Yeah. I just struggled in the beginning because I just, I didn't have that sort of musical. Yeah inclination uh, oh. in the beginning. Oh, sure. And like, I've told some people before that, uh, I mean, I went to school, I didn't go to be a performing major. I went to be a tech major because in the end, I, my degree, my music stuff was supposed to focus on audio recording and composition using software and, and, and mixing and all that stuff. But like your, the program you started in, it was all housed in the music school. So you still had to apply and get accepted to the music school. And my first audition I passed the written technical exam and stuff. I knew how to do scores and basic recording techniques and all that. But I had to come back and do a second audition for the performance requirement because even though I had piano lessons as a kid, I didn't have like the I'm being trained to be the next Beethoven kind of piano lessons. So I actually I took like some super speeded with my with my original piano teacher from when I was younger, like we called her up and like, here, I got, I got, I got to nail like three to four pieces of like various styles within a couple of months. Help. What do I do? And we pound, we pounded that into my skull and I got in, but I definitely don't play nearly as good as I did for that audition ever again. Cause once it all went away, it's like, poof, I don't need that anymore. Yeah. Now I can go back to focusing on just, you know, whatever. <laughs> but piano was a, was a, was an obvious for composition at least for me, because uh, if you've ever written in music uh, for scores through MIDI, usually uh, the keyboard is your input device. So like, it was like, okay, well, that's the easiest thing. You don't have to learn words in another language and you don't have to worry about your fingering. You just have to know the piano because in the end you hit the key, you're pressing keys on your computer yeah. and that's your instrument. That's what you do. And I have multiples of them in a closet from various stages, you know, whenever I have to notate things for, for gigs. And I don't know. I, I'm glad I got in. It was a great program. But yeah, that hurdle of having to be a pro musician for at least <laughs> to get in the door, that, that, that was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So did you know from like the beginning that you wanted to go into audio or was it like uh -uh. a thing that you kind of fell into? Cause you said that you <laughs> went into it for the technical program, but you were like, I, Hmm. It's funny because for a long time, I didn't even think music would be like something you go to school for. Cause you're told like, don't, don't get, don't go to school for the arts. It's bad. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. the worst thing you could do. You'll make your parents very upset and you'll never make any money. But I, I was lucky that my high school had a very good uh, AV department and computer program, and they started editing things like Adobe softwares into like a class they just called multimedia. And I learned Photoshop and Premiere for video editing, and I learned about notation for stuff like Finale 
earlier than some kids usually do just because I was lucky enough that my teacher in that in that side class had been a graduate from the program that I ended up applying to. And I discovered that I really like putting all those things together, like the whole idea of multimedia, visual to sound, to picture. And um, I had a small little portfolio that I started developing in high school, like in my senior year of these weird things. And up till that point, I thought that I would go to college for theater tech because I had always been a big stage crew person. I, I liked doing stage management and um, I was always the spotlight operator for all the musicals, you know, type of thing. And I liked being a production manager and thinking about the big picture about how something looked in the theater. And I looked at some colleges and I wasn't really wowed by the idea of what you'd have to do there. And then I'd, I'd worked some side jobs through high school downtown in Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And Everyone I talked to was like, you don't need a degree in this to do theater. Like it would be a lot of us <laughs> didn't even bother to get, like, you don't need a, a bachelor's in uh, calling cues to, to do theater. <laughs> a lot of us have never, what, why are you crazy? What are you doing? But I liked working on more interesting, like shows with like projections and neat lighting techniques and stuff like Blue Man Group were starting to be popular where there's a visual, you know, going on. It's time to a click track and things happen and projections. And I thought, oh, that'd be really neat. And whenever my teacher told me about this experimental uh, combo of multimedia and music program at Duquesne, I went to check it out. Like, you know, you do like the student visit tour type thing. And they explained what they were trying to do because it was this whole new test program that might not work. And in the end, they actually stopped running it after the first couple of years because it was too hard. And I was like, man, it, so I would only really in the end have to focus on the parts of audio and music that I really am passionate about, which is the music and the recording and understanding how the MIDI and all that stuff works. But the multimedia aspect of putting on like a whole something it that's the multimedia umbrella under which everything is. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I, I ended up putting all my focus in there. And it was great because uh, in the end, I had a lot of like my recitals, like you have to, whenever you're in music school, you have recitals, right? Uh, my recitals were all like projection of like live music video type things where I would edit together footage and, and audio and music would play and I had one piece where people were wearing white and all this footage of like storms was projected on our bodies while everything, all these sounds go off. And it was really neat. And I loved it because it fed into the type of theater thing that I thought I'd be doing. Right. And whenever I graduated, I, I actually toured with a couple different companies for a while. Um, Attack theater, squonk opera, and some normal traditional theater companies like the opera companies in Pittsburgh. And I are, I still had my stage manager brain from loving that aspect of my life. But now I had this understanding of how all the other bits work together and the audio team and the video team and stuff. And then I was like a multimedia stage manager, producer, and also content writer for a while. And I thought, oh, okay, so this is, this is what you do. And I don't have a theater degree, but I've got the multimedia degree. And I guess this is what you do. But eventually, like, whenever I started doing games, which is where I've been kind of for the last 10 years, if you think about interactive cool theater where stuff happens and audio happens and visual cues happen, games are pretty much a theater that you play, like, that when you play a game, you are entering into this 
world and the experience is like you're sitting in a in a 4D theater, right? It's 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 bizarre. I never also never thought that a career in gaming was a thing. It's like a funny how you go you go into school or you you're a kid and you're they're like, oh, one day you might work on video games, and you're like, ha, mom, really? No, no, I don't think I've ever heard. And it took a while for my parents to even believe that my job was real. Whenever I finally did start working, but it's like seriously, I'm working on video games. Like, huh? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh, honey. Okay. <laughs> it's like, no, really, it's a real thing. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever told us that we might work on video games when we were in school. I don't think that was ever like. No, I don't think they want to get your hopes up. It. I, I never thought it would. But who's becoming doctors? I mean, don't get me wrong. I know people are becoming doctors. Like, I'm not stupid. But I mean, maybe, somebody is. I mean, somebody is. But I mean, <laughs> I hope I'm not dumb. There, there are people out there who, who are becoming doctors. But let's think about it. How many people do we actually know who went to school to become a doctor? I feel like it's kind of like. I know, too. And one ended up be- being, now he's in musical theater. Oh my gosh. But my point is, is that <laughs> becoming a doctor is just as crazy as becoming a sound designer for video games. I think they're on the same plane in terms of like realistic possibilities that people could actually do. People view them as like these two, like becoming a doctor is obtainable, but becoming a video game designer, music editor person is like so obtainable. But I think that they're like on the same playing field. Well, well, I think also what's interesting is like, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. (laughs) I mean, let's just say I got, I graduated with, with the, I finished my program with that multimedia masters in the music thing in 2005. So, uh, so you're like, so that was so polite. So, so yes, you're older. Yes. You're just doing the, I saw the math. You're like, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, well. But meanwhile, so I did that. And that's now, oh God, it's, that is now as the recording of this program. <laughs> that is about 15 years I, ago. I, I, I did the math for you and I was like, oh shoot, no. No, no, no. But then, but then I remember what that was funny, right? Is so, and when I started my undergrad program, my teachers who are now like, they're now like me, right? So my teachers were telling me about the career they'd had and what they went into. And there was, there wasn't even like audio recording type programs, even close to anything I started when they did it. And I remember thinking like, wow, that was a long time ago. And it's, it's hilarious when those gap, when those waves of your mentors and then you, and then I've, I've worked in some projects. Oh God, where I've tutored kids while I was at college, I had the opportunity to help with a weekend program with eight through 18 year olds. And it was called telecommunity. And we taught the kids. Photoshop and audio recording through like GarageBand and things that are available on Macs that they can do at home. And (laughs) some of those kids who were like 10 are now in college. And when I think about it, my head just goes like, oh my God, my God, what happened? But I'm proud that, heck, if I hadn't worked with them, if they didn't have the opportunity to play with that stuff when they were a kid, like when I did, they wouldn't have had also portfolios when they came out. So it's just, it's interesting. It does make your heart hurt knowing how old you get. But at the same time, it's kind of nice seeing that wave of shared knowledge going on. And when you remember when you were them or when your teacher was you before you were the teacher, you know what I'm saying? Yes. I the cyclical I did, I did, patterns. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I do. I mean, I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel that way like all the time. 
Yeah. Well, first off, I have younger brothers and the fact that they're old enough to do certain things just baffles me. I I'm know. Like, Lies, you're not old enough to do anything yet besides sit in that room and, and, and hey, do what I tell you to do. I've got a younger brother four years younger than me and I'm still like, you're too young to do that. Why are you doing yeah. that? Stop that. <laughs> and he's, he got married and I'm like, you're too young to get married. What are you doing? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> no, my my youngest brother is like ten years younger than me, so it's the strangest feeling. I'm rounding. I don't think he's actually ten years. I think it's like eight or something like that, but close enough. And so it's so weird. But I feel that way a lot when I think about like when I used to like tutor kids. I used to tutor certain kids in math and stuff like that because when kids are younger, they that's like the biggest thing that they struggle with is understanding math class. And so I have some kids that I tutored in that and they're like in like full careers or, or like they like graduated college and now they're about to start a career. And I'm like, how did you do that already? Like, weren't you just like a pint sized person who like couldn't do like algebra one. And now you're like an engineer. Like, I mean, I'm glad that that's like, a thing that's happened but it's like it's the the passage of time is really interesting because i don't feel like i gotten older well, like i know i've gotten older but i don't yeah. feel older exactly also there was there was a period where and maybe this is the benefit of working in an entertainment field where i feel and someone told me this like recently i feel as energetic or as like excited about things now as I did when I started my first in-house game job at this point almost almost 10 years ago because a lot of stuff is still crazy and new and stuff changes so often and also lately uh even though pandemic etc you know it's been a year and all that but uh, so many improvements internally are happening because one big thing I do a lot and I'm doing in a, in two weeks, actually. Game SoundCon is a big convention coming up, and I usually speak. And luckily, it's been online during COVID shutdown, so we can do it in our pajamas. How nice to be on a panel in your pajamas. But we're doing more activism to fight the sexist problem that's been going on in the industry. And I was so happy to go into games when I, when I realized it was a thing, right? And I got in. But... There's that, yay, oh my God, I'm working in games. But then, and you, then you start to quickly be educated on the, on the internal struggles of being a woman in a tech field. And unfortunately, games is one of those areas like film where it's been really rough and we've been fighting to get representation up and not be called toots in the office and so on. And I started my own company a couple years ago. I've been working for my own. I'm an LLC. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Who would have thought I'd be in my own business if I know? And um, sharing my experiences and talking to other people. And we've been having interactive roundtable discussions. And people are more open and supportive than they used to be instead of hiding what's been going on. And I feel like that gives me energy and makes me feel like... I don't know. Someone was nice. I don't know if they were being nice or honest. They didn't know me personally. They thought I was still in my in my twenties, like my late twenties or early thirties last last week. And I was like, "Oh, bless your heart." But uh, they said it's because my energy was so high of my of what what I'm working on. And I'm like, because it is, it's great, and I'm not jaded and sad anymore because I've been dealing with all the crap that's been going on behind the scenes. But seeing that things are 
sometimes you have to force change with a with a sledgehammer, but you know things are getting good. Uh, women in game audio used to be, if you're lucky, two percent of the industry, and I think we've been climbing up from a from four <laughs> percent, and it's rising. But seeing that going up and helping being integrated into that and seeing it move has made me very optimistic. And I don't know. It's, you got to be positive whenever you're like, thank God the numbers aren't going down. And I even, I taught when I moved here to Austin, I taught at the Art Institute for a little bit. I taught audio for games. And I was so sad when I saw uh, one of my classes, I was given a class of 30. And there were two girls in a class of 30. And I was like, holy cripes. And then they told me later, I was the first woman to teach that class in the whole curriculum. And I'm like, it's been all dudes teaching all these classes till this point. Well, if that's my message is like, hey, you got a lady in front of you. <laughs> Let's talk about sound. Then I will do my best to encourage them. And I'm glad that those were girls were great students and it was a good experience. And I lectured for my college actually online. I did a guest lecture last weekend or last Wednesday for Duquesne. And I know that at least a fourth of the people on that Zoom call were women. And it just made, it meant so much to see that change. You know what I mean? Because I don't know about you when you took your first audio classes, but I remember being the only girl in, in intro to audio at Duquesne. And it was not very friendly, <laughs> but I stuck with it. And I had to have some internal meetings with my advisor that first year. And things did get better over time, but it was like, you sometimes you just got to make your mark but it it just feels it fills me with hope I, it it sucks cuz um and I honestly I kept I remember hearing that if I didn't have something like I had brothers I don't have sisters right so I was raised in a very male heavy household maybe if I hadn't had that being raised like you know you, you're all kids you share the same t-shirts my my older brother outgrows his t-shirt I get the t-shirts I was wearing like it's like whatever this is normal I played with his transformers I played with you know, the Ghostbusters action figures as they came down the line. I was happy to have those. I think if I if I hadn't had that, if I was treated differently than my brothers, I think, and I was told, no, you can't play with Transformers and stuff. I'd, I probably wouldn't have gone into stage tech. I probably wouldn't have thought computers are cool and loved spreadsheets from my stage management career because I love spreadsheets. I'm such a nerd. I asked for a filing cabinet for my birthday one year. And my dad was like, okay. And we picked one out at OfficeMax and it was such a joy. Oh my goodness. I feel like if I, if that hadn't been like my grandfather, let me play with power tools when we would hang out at my grandparents. It's like, yeah, this is normal for kids. But I feel like the more parents can do that to their daughters, the more things like, yes games and yes tech can be open for everybody I, I always worry when everyone's raised as a princess only like you know be your own freaking prince charming go go do whatever right i don't know i went on a tangent there sorry i don't no, even know what, what was our question did we have a question? <laughs> she said what was the question well the original question was how you got into audio but i don't oh. care about that anymore no 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 oh we're transitioning oh. we're transitioning because i will i will really say a quick thing. line of how i got into games was Fake blood and a zombie opera got me into games. Okay, now I want to know the story, but I also want to ask you about some stuff that you just said. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. dude. Conflicted. Ask, ask what you want to know. Ask what I you want to know. Conflicted. I feel. Conf- I want to know both. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm, this is okay. good stuff. So we're hitting some first. Deep we're going to start messages. with. Okay. 
We're going to start with the statement of how you got into that. And then we're going to go into what I had already wanted to ask you about what you previously said. Oh, sure. So how did yeah. you get into video game audio then? Because so, I got to know that story. You can't set that right. up like that. Tell the story. <laughs> I mentioned I'm from Pittsburgh originally. 30. Hi. 36 years of my life was spent in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> the last three to four years in Austin, Texas. So that dates me. I know. I know. I think you dated yourself when you said 2005. So <laughs> Somebody's at my front door. So give me one second. This is the, this is the interesting part of the interview where I'm left alone. Hello world. Thank you for listening to our very not at all tangential chat today. In case any of you want to see the bizarro trajectory of my life, you can check out my website at blackcatbonified.com. That is B-L-A-C-K-C-A-T-B-O-N-I-F-I-D-E.com. That is bonafide spelled wrong correctly because I'm Bonnie and bonafide. And when I was in high school, that felt like a great domain name to grab. If you type bonniebogovich.com, it also redirects to my website. But you can kind of see a lot of the theater projects that we've been talking about, uh, video games I've worked on, voice acting, and also concert things on there. Uh, and usually I do shout outs to projects when I collaborate with people. So go check that out. Yeah. And if, you, if you're on Twitter, I'm at symbol blackheadbonfeed because blackheadbonified was too many characters for Twitter. So it's <laughs> B-L-A-C-K-C-A-T-B-O-N. F-E-E-D and Twitter. And in case anyone's curious about those concerts I talked about, you can look up Chorus Austin, uh, Chamber Singers, and also Inversion Ensemble. Power to all choir people out there because choir's amazing. And I don't know, I guess once a choir junkie, always a choir junkie, right? But also, uh, I'm all, I'm very serious for any of the times I've been gushing about the industry and stuff. Um, obviously, Folks, there's a there's still uh, some mountains to climb. If anyone listening wants to attend Game Sound Con, which is happening the second week in November, I highly recommend going to that. We're running a couple roundtables on gender equality, um, sexism in the workplace, and also ways to be allies to women and women identifying folks in the industry. Yep. Oh, and if you ever want to attend uh, Game Sound Con or GDC's audio track, I recommend keeping an eye on something called Gang Scholars, G-A-N-G Scholars. They often offer scholarships for someone to attend Game Sound Con and or GDC uh, free uh, for the week where you are also paired with a mentor. I highly recommend that if you can. I've, I've worked as a mentor there before. Basically, if you are in a field of college right now studying music or audio recording or something in the industry. We'll pair you with someone and you'll get some great industry experience. And oh, she's back. I'll stop talking that. Bye. Are you just talking to yourself? No, I'm talking to your audience. I was giving them tips on how to get a scholarship for stuff. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a great way to like. I just kind of started talking that. about things. I was like, I don't know how long it'll be. So I'll just dump some web links on. <laughs> so, oh, oh my God, I love that. First off, that's absolutely fabulous. Yeah, because uh, I think we were like uh, zombies. Here, I'll give zombies. you this. All right. the stories. The, the story. story. So uh, I, I am from Pittsburgh. And then I, at that point, I admitted that I'm turning 40. And I was like, oh, and then you ran away. So uh, Pittsburgh. So anyone who's a fan of horror movies, 
classic horror cinema and knows anything about George Romero, who did the original Night of the Living Dead and all the Living Dead films, right? He's from Pittsburgh. So in Pittsburgh, it's like a cultural phenomenon that we respect the classic slow crawling zombie. It's like a big thing. And there's usually conventions like zombie conventions. There would be zombie crawl events where some days they would shut down the streets and people would pull their zombie clothes because everyone has some in their in their closet out and you'd all pick start time and everyone was slowly like and go down the street and people would film it and then at the end there's parties so i grew up with that cultural knowledge and later it was beneficial in that i had been working at this point on a lot of theater stuff we talked about i was doing stage management i was doing a lot of things after college and I'd made a lot of friends after choir. I joined some community opera things. And I had this lovely network of colleagues and folks I liked working with. And there was a year where uh, funding for theater in Pittsburgh just dropped. Like, it, I think it was also in, in the nation. Like, uh, they just stopped supporting arts for a bit. It was like this big lull. And a lot of us were like, man, there's nothing to, there's nothing to work on except boring day job type stuff. And uh, my... Best friend and longtime co-writing colleague Liz Richel and I co-wrote <laughs> a musical slash opera called Evenings in Quarantine, The Zombie Opera. And we designed it as a 4D performance where we filmed basically a musical movie uh, with over 100 extras of zombies and blood-covered people. And uh, it was all to a click track, which I set up. We wrote the music ahead of time. We filmed everything so people would be lip syncing, you know, to stuff on screen. And that there would be live actors in front of it interacting with this backdrop. So we designed like this crazy multimedia show, which was like the dream of what I went to school for, right? Right. And it was great because it actually ran for three seasons. We got funding from the Heinz Endowments and everything because it was a cultural event being that it was in Pittsburgh and involved zombies as an ode to Night of the Living Dead. Wow. And while filming, because you've got a hundred plus people crawling up a hill covered in corn syrup for you. <laughs> and they're having a blast because this is like a Pittsburgh person's dream. And they're just covered in bugs and grass and going. Mwah! And uh, I'm, I discovered that some people in the extras worked at a game company called Shell Games. And they started to know me a bit because they were involved a lot and we became friends. And they told me one day that there was a desk empty at their studio. And, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we had an audio person, but the desk is empty. The audio person is gone. Put your resume in. And I'm like, I don't, thank you, but I don't, I did not go to school for the games. I do not know what to, <laughs> what I want to yeah. do. And they're like, but uh, you, you've done indie film. You've done this wackadoodle blood-covered awesome show and you've worked in theater and all these other things and there's your recording stuff is there like put just put that all down on paper and, and write a cover letter and, and send it in and we'll make sure it gets in and I was like okay and that, that was that whole wave of that's not a career nobody does sound in games yeah and so I did and I listed museum stuff film the theater thing the zombies and my blood-covered extra friends send it off into the winds and I didn't care anything for, I want to say three months. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it was worth a shot. Okay, great. But they kept telling me every couple months, like, the desk is still empty. We don't know what's going on, but the desk is still empty. And then one day I got a call to come in. And I was like, oh, is this like an actual interview? Oh, my God. Oh, okay, okay. And I got all dressed up in like a 
suit and everything. And I came in and it, I didn't realize at the time that game companies aren't really suit cultures. <laughs> and I go in and I'm all dressed like I'm going to a wedding or something. And they're all in like t-shirts and shorts, you know, and there I am. And they're like, oh, can you start today on the SeaWorld project? We have a game for SeaWorld. It's like right there. Do you want to look at it? I'm like, wait, do you want to look at my, I brought my res- resume. Are we going to talk about it? <laughs> and apparently uh, they'd already discussed bringing me on, just didn't tell me. And it was, oh. and I just got thrown into the wood, went like, whoop, they're in. And I began right away. I was part-time and then I immediately was 40 hours a week and they had to bump me up. And I, I stayed there for five and a half years wow. and uh, trial by fire. And, but I wouldn't have gotten in at all if not for <laughs> evenings in quarantine, the zombie opera and tons and tons, multiple cases of corn syrup and red food dye. Oh my goodness. But it's like. Who would have thought? Because like, like when they like, and I I just kept thinking like, but I did not go to school for a career in games. Why would I be considered? And it's because, especially at that point, nobody went to school for games. It's like, that's not what happens. Like, it turns out people there had degrees and like my producer for one of the projects went to school for architecture. (laughs) One of the lead writers uh, he had an English degree, but he got hired because he once wrote interactive plays involving ninjas as a fun project. And they thought that's kooky. That sounds like a game person, you know, and like only maybe a third of them actually went to like a, a degree involving the word gaming in it. It was multimedia. It was graphics, math. A lot of the coders had math degrees, you know, computer science. And it was just hilarious to see man that yeah, the zombies, zombies. So do you find, I guess, even now, I mean, I know it's been, a little while since <laughs> that. Well, I just love it because well, I was uh, trying to put together like a sentence in my head, and I was trying to make it make sense. And since that, you're so old, a, Bonnie, that was such Let's a talk. terrible pause. Oh my god! It's like it's the drama. The drama. Um, it's fine. It's fine. I did it to myself. I did it to myself. It's, pause. it's fine. Yeah, but I heard it too. I was like, "Ooh, I shouldn't have paused right there." <laughs> I'm like, bad time to think, Dan. Fix it in post. Um, you have audio <laughs> skills. It's funnier if you don't. It's funnier if you don't. No, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's good. Um, so, okay. So my, my <laughs> thought was, yeah. since you, times have changed over the last, I mean, even since I've been out of college, times have changed in terms of like degrees and stuff like that. So do you oh, yeah. even find that it's necessary or is it is there any real benefit for people like trying to go to school like if they want to go into like oh yes sound design for video games or, or um, different things like is well, there actually a value to finding those you, types of degree plans I will say and th- and I'll speak as someone who's been in house and and also a freelancer I've been on both sides right if you want to work for a company like a company company and have a staff position or have something where you're contracted for half a year or whatnot. Having a degree, even if it's math, is very important because it shows that you've put the work in and have you've been studied and made it through the thing. It doesn't have to always be an audio degree, but it has to be you have to have at least a bachelor's for something. I didn't need a master's to get the job I got at Shell, but having the base degree was important to be the head of my own department, which I ended up being like, cause I was the only one in audio there for four of the five and a half years that I worked that job. I was a department of one, but for getting my assistance, I did prefer that they had 
at least a bachelor's in music tech or audio recording or something involving recording arts because it meant that they've gone through the training. I would have also accepted if they had a base bachelor's degree in something, but had done like some online training programs and something else to prove that they had learned the middleware that we are using or were familiar with uh, the Adobe suite that we use, like Adobe Audition or something similar. Proving that you have gone through an educational process and have portfolio material if needed to prove that you've made it through and actually knew what you're doing is, I say, the, the most important thing. If you apply to an audio engineering or a sound person job and your cover letter says, I took piano lessons for six years, hire me for an interactive audio programmer. That resume is going to drop the floor so fast. It's like, does that make sense? Like having something to prove that, yes, you are you you are you are trained and you can be focused, but also that it's relevant to whatever you're putting your feet forward into is is important. Also, if you gave me an audit, said, I have an audio degree, but you'd never done anything with it, that I would rather have someone who went to school for history, mm-hmm. but worked on a ton of indie side projects and has a lovely website that can show me what they can do. Mm-hmm. It's all about presentation. And I don't know. And also the answer is, it depends. <laughs> right? That's it a does, good answer. It, it depends. No, that was a great answer. I, yeah. I know for me, like when I was first trying to get started, like I asked, so I only knew really two sound engineers. And uh, one of them was the sound engineer at my church. And I I went up to him and I was like, hey, sorry, somebody's calling me. That's why Someone's calling that. you while you're talking about about this and I was like oh my god stop stop buzzing over there yeah anyways uh so I was at church and I went up to the guy who ran sound for our main church service and I was like hey I want to become a sound engineer like how do I do it and the the advice he gave me was 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 useless he 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 just said you go out and buy equipment and just Oh, God. Now, yeah, I I hate to say it, but that can be for some people, if they're like a genius and they rock it, great. But to Joe Schmo or someone who's like, I'm going to buy the most top gear stuff and immediately be amazing at it. That does not always. My question is, buy what? What gear am I buying? That's a great question. What am I doing? Like, what am I, what am I supposed to be? Like, what, what is the purpose? (laughs) Right. And there was no purpose. Like, there was no, all I did was say, hey, I want to learn more about being a sound engineer because I would like to do that. How do I do that? And his answer was, go buy gear and do it. That doesn't yeah. help with anything, right? That also it sounds like, mean- I wonder if he was secretly like a salesperson and getting commission for telling people that. Sales what? He didn't even sell me anything. That's like- the worst. Because usually that's what, you walk into something like Guitar Center. You're like, I want to do stuff. And they're like, we'll set you up. Buy this $3,000 package. We won't show you how to use it but you'll be great. And that's the worst that someone can do to someone is just make them buy things and not give them actual information. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -mm. And so, so to me, your stance on um, how you went about hiring or getting a, oops, or getting assistance, I think it's helpful because I think a lot of times people have the same kind of questions or same sort of situations where you're like, you're trying to get into it and you're like, how like it's oh yeah and working or the resources or and there and what's funny is uh sometimes it just takes someone to tell you hey there's tons of free stuff on youtube that can train you in in just the first steps what are those links exactly right where do i go which ones are the good ones and and it it just takes someone the extra couple minutes 
to to give you that info so you aren't just wandering through the weeds, right? And um, I know, especially once, because it was like, oh, God, suddenly I'm in games. Ah, what happens now? I, I had to do some extra research because I knew film and I knew theater and other things. But I had to learn some lingo things that they don't teach you in school as well. There's stuff you, there's stuff you don't learn in school because also maybe there wasn't games taught in school like mine. And you have to learn as you go. And uh, I would attend, there were sometimes free online conferences you can go to and Q&A panels where people work in the industry and you can ask these questions and they'll be honest and tell you. And I would take notes and look up stuff on my own, but some were just on YouTube. Uh, these days, a lot of them happen on Zoom. I've spoken, I did a panel recently for a, there's a group called soundgirls.org and they're very similar to if you've heard of WAM, Women Audio Mission in Seattle, and they do free panels and info things for uh, women and female identifying individuals about careers in audio. And I was like, my God, I wish that existed when I was in high school. Wouldn't that have saved a lot of time? But having those opportunities for people to just talk and let people ask their questions, it can just make such a world of difference. And I was lucky that once I started attending conferences and similar things, uh, luckily, once I was working in-house, they started offering an assistance thing where they would give you some extra money to learn, like they would encourage people to go to conferences. So I got a little extra help towards if there was airfare. And oh, I would come home with notebooks full of like pencil scratch and I'd write down everything I heard. And oh, I, I just loved it. I, I was absorbing from so many people. And it was great that, at, like I was saying, as years went on, more and more females were giving this these tips and information. And it, that helps too, to see that I'm not alone. I'm the only girl in the audience taking notes. Yeah. But yeah, just it's important to to learn from other people. But you got to learn also to ask the right questions. And there's no wrong question. And I think the problem is a lot of people are scared to ask what's dumb questions, right? There's no dumb questions, only dumb answers. I don't know. But these days you can go, uh, I'm on, I, I've lost count. On Facebook, I'm in like at least 10. We'll just start with 10. I'm on at least 10 groups, which are like woman in something sound, something audio, something VR, something, you know what I mean? There are so many groups now that are supportive of these types of things where you can ask stuff. And if you're, even if people listening, if even if you're not female, there's just, there's a group I'm in. It's so vague. It's just, it's just sound design. That's it. And then you can imagine how many people Live. are in, Sorry. Okay. but like I, it's I, I love millions of people, but every now and then someone posts a cool article or something, you know, or, or a neat, uh, talk going on online and just those very and you might think oh that's too vague what, what could you get out of something just called sound design i've gotten tons out of that and it's free facebook is free eat it up kids i'm a, I'm a discord free. person personally but hey i'm on 32 discord servers but hey it works um same it concept, works same and i tell you what and uh some of the best gigs i've gotten are on Discord. And it's hilarious because there's still traditional jobs and ones where you formally apply and things. But some of the best games I've worked on, I found in a Discord server. Like someone's like, oh, hey, we're taking some audio people for this thing, or we need crowd noise for this Viking game. And I would, I found them in, uh, there's a one, one Discord server I'm in is like, it's just called Voice Acting Club. And they post auditions and calls for when they need audio people. And, and sometimes you'll see really like, sometimes you'll see i'll pay two dollars for 300 lines of dialogue but sometimes you'll see actual realistic things 
paying scale for really fun projects with dragons and monsters and things. And I've worked on some amazing bits. And if I hadn't been camping out in, in the right server at the right time, I would never have known about it. So it's the tech. It's no, it's, you know, what are you comfortable with? Where maybe you don't like Facebook, but maybe you love Discord or maybe you're a LinkedIn person and that's where you live. Or maybe you live everywhere. I'm in Slack, Discord, Facebook, LinkedIn. The only thing I haven't hit up is the Snapchats. I just can't get myself. I haven't done the Snapchats or the TikToks. I can't get in there. Oh, my goodness. My heart's, I I only have so much space (laughs) to spread myself. You have way more social media than I ever could deal with. I'm not a social media person. (laughs) It's hard. I like social media, but it's like, yeah, yeah, it's the maintenance of it. And so I, I get, I be like. Yeah, so about that, my my friends would be like, "Hey, I wrote you on Facebook. Did you see that?" And I'm like, "Did what?" Well, it's also I go it's to a, what? <laughs> it's a slippery slope too because um, heck, even ten or so years ago, when Facebook and things were becoming popular and being used more for groups and and for communities to keep in touch with each other, I was one of the people who's like, "Bernie has a multimedia degree. She can help us with our social media, right?" So I started. I suddenly found myself at one point. With the Twitter accounts and Facebook groups of like eight different theater companies and other side projects all under my ownership. And it's like, man, I hope no one ever really ticks me off because I could be so vengeful and put whatever I want. But I didn't do that. But it was dangerous, but also can be daunting because if you're representing all these different things, you have to kind of become schizophrenic and have to be a different voice for all these people and still maintain your own social media that is different. And I had a multicolored calendar of when to post for different people every day. And I learned a lot about respecting people whose jobs it is to run social media because it it's mind numbing trying to keep up with that and reply to everybody and all that stuff. Eventually I I had, I cut it all down and I'm only helping manage a couple, which are only my own side projects now and have pushed off the other ones to other people, but beware. It's great though. If you become that person who, while you're younger, especially is a good time to do it to help with social media, you become a hub of networking as well. And that's, I met a lot of business contacts being like the voice of the game audio network guild for a little bit. I was a social media person and people would see me posting news blasts on the walls. And when I would go to conferences, they remembered my face from being the person who would post stuff. And that actually helped open a lot of doors. So there is something to be said for volunteering to do that type of stuff. If you can ever join like committees or like advisory boards or help judge like there's audio awards every year you can join an advisory board for some different groups and help listen to submissions and it's a little bit of time but you learn a lot about who submits stuff you learn the names of companies and musicians and writers and stuff but you also get some respect because it takes a lot of focus to listen to stuff and judge your peers and narrow things down volunteering and and helping with communities you believe in can be really really amazing and helpful and you can also make some really nice friends that way you find like-minded people like you once you learn what you like to do in your own industry and you find these little hubs yeah you can build some really great contacts yeah derp derp i'm always trying to transitions <laughs> so i was trying to think of like a cool What's way a good like, segue that uh, but I don't have one other than just telling you I'm trash at transitions. So I'm asking you a different That's question. fine. <laughs> I just I'm, honesty is great about it. <laughs> um, 
So I, I wanted to go back to something that you were talking about earlier, which was the whole sexism in Oof. the audio world and like fighting that and just oh, stuff man. like that. Like, like I was, I had just started working full time in the industry when Gamergate happened. If you've ever heard of any of that stuff, that where women were being hunted down, uh, so being socially destroyed, their accounts were being harassed if they were standing up for feminism in the industry, and all the super sexist men, including a lot of celebrities, came out saying that, you know, our place is in the home and we shouldn't be hogging jobs. And, and, it's an educational experience. If you are blessed enough to have not known that phrase, Gamergate, I highly I recommend. Have, but I don't think it, I knew it in this context. There I, were there were there was a point where I had I had some colleagues, one who we got down to GDC in San Francisco and she did not attend her panel and was scared to show up because she, there was like there were be like people were sending threats to her. It can be cuz the harassment thing can be very mild, uh, but it can also be there have been people who they've even left the industry because they were so harassed during especially that time period. And um, this was way before the Me Too movement in the past. Uh, heck, that's a couple years in now. And surprised that the Me Too thing took so long, honestly, after that, that whole thing happened. We've had some dark times yeah. <laughs> in the industry. And even uh, what recently Blizzard, I don't know if they're still under a big lawsuit right now. There was all that sexism and, and harassment that came to light. And uh, I think the state of uh, Washington was suing Blizzard at some point because <laughs> it's like, we won't have this in our state kind of a thing. So it's it, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And it, if you miss the news blip, it doesn't mean it's not still happening. You know, it's 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 just takes a lot for people to bring it up. Right. And acknowledge that these types of things have happened behind closed doors. And it's just not good. <laughs> it's just not yeah. good. No, it's not. No. <clears throat> uh I, I guess. Sorry, we got dark there for a sec, but you know, so no, yeah. that's, I think, so I think that's part of it, right? Ooh. I think that's part of like the reason why um, I like interviewing minorities um, specifically is because I think that there are things like this that exist that people don't always know about. Like I think a lot of times people think, oh, you know, it's, it's not that severe or it's like people are being like overly dramatic or they're like, well, you know, there's no women because of other reasons. It doesn't have to deal with the sexism or the sexual harassment or, or any of those sort of things. And it's like, mm, yeah, but all of that kind of combines together to, to, to be why things are the way that they are. Right. Like there's, like there's multiple reasons for why things are the way they are. And and this is part of it. And it's kind of like the resume thing. Also, each case also depends on the company and the situation right. and the people already working there, what they were taught in school and why they treat people certain ways, why what they were taught growing up as well, both on the men and women's side. Things like, you know, if men ask a lot of questions in a meeting and are very assertive, they're, they're seen as go-getters. But if women ask a lot of questions, they're considered pushy and a problem. And it seems like a simple thing. You're like, oh, people don't still say that. No, it's still one of the big, biggest complaints that happens, when, you know, in the industry. That and we just did, um, there was a roundtable at GDC we ran called Loud Secrets of Game Audio. Loud Secrets being a term of everyone knows it's going on, but no one 
no one publicly talks about it. That's the term, loud secrets. I hate that it's a term. But one thing that came up is another thing against women, and they don't ever publicly say it, but some people have started putting these in articles when they've confessed that if a woman applies for a job, they're like, oh, she might have a kid at some point, and then we're going to lose a lot of productivity. So it's just not worth it. And the hormonal thing she's going to go through is going to be a problem for us during reviews. So it's better just to get a guy. And I'm like, wow. So, okay, that's really rude. How do you even know, yeah. one, if she's even a mom type person or if she wants to have kids? Two, right. are you judging the, the dads in the office the same way? Because I'm sure, <laughs> are they affected at all by having kids? Is that even important? It's It's like, what right do you have to to predict someone's future and change their career outcome based on that. It's it's just wrong. And there are a lot of family-friendly companies as well that have been doing this. And it's like, if you're a company that focuses on family-friendly products and you're discriminating against possible future parents, yeah, that is a message. That is a message. That is a bad message. Yeah. And uh, even ones will go the, the way to say, oh, well, you know, we want to get things done really quick, but knowing that a woman one week out of a, out of a month is just going to be difficult to work with. We'd just rather not deal with that. We're on too tight of a timeline. I'm like, oh my God, that happens? It's, yes, that happens. The PMS makes you worse conversation is a thing people actually have. They have those chats in, in, Discord, meetings, in Discord servers. They have them in Slack meetings and private conversations and you and. I'm on some groups where we see screenshots of those come out and it's just terrifying that the, and what happens is a lot of these companies are still 98% guys and they're having these chats and uh, they're not adapting when suddenly, thank God they're bringing in some ladies and it's like, Oh my God. I have a question Yikes. and I, and I know that this is okay. I'm going to ask it anyways, Uh-oh. but I want to ask it because I think that there's, I think the answer to the question is important. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> now I'm scared. I'm sorry. No, this is we got dark, but I, this is some serious stuff. No, this is this is real though. But this is also the problem. People go, oh no, we can't talk about that. That's serious. No, but I but I want to. That's that's again. This is part of why I like my podcast. It's my podcast. I can do what you do, I want. do what you want. But I want to make sure I make sure that you understand there's a point here. Okay. Oh yeah. So why is it wrong? to take those things into consideration because let's be honest a lot of women do have issues sometimes if they have like pcos or different things where they do their work performance might be affected potentially by different women's issues right and i'm not saying that means they shouldn't get jobs or anything like that but is there a balance that can be achieved in having that conversation honestly because women do have those types of women issues and not have it be discriminatory i think part of that is actually having a conversation because the problem is a lot of the stuff that i was just giving us examples Right, right, right. It's happening before they even meet the person. That's getting the resume and seeing that it's a woman's name on the on the resume and not even bringing them in for an introductory phone call. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking and you're like, that person's name's Anne. Nope. <laughs> Bob. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you bring someone in and they're, let's say, here's a super mom. Maybe she's already a mom and she's amazing and she can rock a spreadsheet and record the best audio of your life. 
should should she not get a chance because she's she's also a mom? Right. What if she's like seven million times better than Bob, who may never pop out kids or get married, but he's mediocre? Learn learn about Anne. Find out what she can do. Actually interview that person and hear what she's got and read her cover letter beyond the top. You know what I mean? Because that's that's the I think the biggest issue is uh, when people just write people off based on the first glance and they haven't even called them in. You know what I mean? Because heck, my I had a supervisor. And uh, she l- took maternity leave for six months and she was fantastic. And she'd been there for a while and still rocked it when she came back and there was no problem. And she would already, she was already established there. And luckily she was there and they founded the company, but I can see how another company would have been like, Oh, she's going to be gone for half a year. Mm. Maybe we should get rid of her while she's on maternity leave. You know what I mean? Luckily these days um, she could probably, because she already had a rapport with the company, threaten to sue while she when she comes back but uh i doubt that if she had gone in and on her the top of her cover list she's like you know in seven years i'm gonna have a kid that that would have been a consideration i think it's just i think people always deserve to be heard it's the same thing where like math degree great including your cover letter what related to the job you can bring don't just tell me you have piano lessons. Don't just tell me you have a math degree. Tell me that you, I don't know, you watched a film about the theremin and Blue Man Group or something when you were in school and you were obsessed and you love it and you've been training yourself and working on side projects. Tell me what drives you about being in that career. Don't just give me a short blip. Give give me, give me something. Give me, give, give some, give some lore to show why we'd want to work with you. But I think that's it. And then when those conversations do come up, if if those things are said, someone's already in the office, right? And someone's like, oh, we can't give her that big job because she might have a kid soon or something. Talk to her about it. Don't have these side mark conversations and don't get pulled into a thing where you see this horrible discussion that's really sexist and insulting happening where she doesn't know what's going on. That's the worst. If you ever see a superior or other colleagues dissing or ripping down someone especially if if you're like that's going to ruin them that's going to affect their career bring it up like stand up for them there or make sure to immediately get to the right person you're supposed to report it to and put a stop to that shit can i say that (laughs) stop stop it and say something because the worst is whenever people see this type of thing going on and they don't talk about it because then it doesn't stop it's just going to keep happening because then the folks saying these things, they are learning that it's okay to talk about people like this and to judge them by this. And that's the worst example is not saying, no, that's wrong. Right. I, th- I think that's the biggest problem. And we, at Game Sound Con in two weeks from now, we have a round table. We're doing another Loud Secrets round table, similar to the one that we had before. And we're doing one on gender relations and supporting people in the workplace. And that's going to be one of the big discussions is if you hear something or you see things like this and someone's talking down someone or saying like, I heard so-and-so might want to have kids someday, we should make sure to rip her off this project. And like, what do you do? And there may be multiple answers, but the wrong thing to do is not do anything. Because 
that person probably has no idea that that conversation's happening. And they're going to go into a work review one day and be told they've been pulled off the company and have no idea why. That's because some people were back talking behind them and planning their own future without their input even involved. And there's nothing worse than that. Right. So I think there's a, there's, there's so many deep answers here, but a lot of it is not letting things happen or putting a stop to stuff. And there are some honest things like maybe that, that is an honest conversation. Like you said, well, what if it will affect them? What if it is a thing where they might have an issue where it's like, oh man, they have health problems and they might need to take a year off. Yeah. That needs to be brought up with their producer and the schedule, right? That needs, that should be planned out. It shouldn't only be discussed in private with like eight people dissing this person. It should be a discussion with them. Who knows? Maybe they've already had this discussion with their producer. You don't know, but it shouldn't be a bunch of people making, um, what's the word? Approximations making they're, they're, they're just guessing and saying, well, obviously this person's not going to be able to do blah, 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 because this so-and-so whatever what's going to happen because obviously i hate it when people do that well obviously that's what's going to happen and obviously this person won't be able to handle and obviously and they probably have never even spoken to said person maybe they already know that they're going to have a difficult pregnancy and they're going to need a year off it's to them to be honest and upfront about that with the people that run the schedule and are working it it's not for their coworkers to make assumptions and rip them down and plan their career for them without them even being involved. I think. So it it takes both sides, right? It's the person being honest if they're going to have issues, taking it through proper channels, and also supporting people if you see this dissing and whatever you want to call it going on behind closed doors and whatnot and these things happening and being and and really stepping up and not just women supporting it because if it's like oh well wait for one of the other women in the office to stand up and say it's wrong it's up to the guys to to put on some balls pardon my french and uh point out when something's wrong and put a stop to it and not just play along with what the other guys are saying and that's one of the things we're talking about in the gender relations panel in a couple weeks is more allies from the other gender standing up and supporting women. Cause usually when there's a half an office of dudes, most of them are like a bunch of them are dads. And it's like, would you want like your wife or your daughter or someone else knowing that this is going on behind their back? What would you do if it was a family member and they were talking about them instead of the pair of boobs in the office? What would you do if you actually cared? So it's teaching them to also stand up for people and not just be, not just play along with be, it, it's normal in the game industry to talk about women this way. It's like, no, it, it shouldn't be. If it is normal, it's become normal because of people letting things stay horrible. So many elements, right? Yeah. I wonder though, like, I feel like there's, there's also the potential for like standing up for somebody or trying to do the right thing, but it's usually backfiring. That happens a lot. <laughs> And I feel like that happens. And so I, I, I could see how one would be hesitant to do that if that is a fear that that could backfire on them. And then it becomes like, oh, well, he said, she said, or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just wonder, like, what, what if any, is there a way to kind of, like, minimize that potential in, like, dealing with these sort of situations? 
because obviously they should be dealt with. Like, I mean, I, I, I completely agree that people should be, you know, stand up for each other and that you shouldn't like have these sort of like behind closed doors kind of conversations about people in that regard. But there's also the real possibility that like you could be trying to help and that not work. Oh, and it happens all the time. And that's been one of the reasons why people still are hesitant to stand up as much as they have, because there's that fear, right? What if you say the wrong thing? And not only will, what if it makes you look bad for standing up? And the, the more important thing is what if it hurts them, right? What if it hurts the person you're trying to support? And I think there, oh, that's, that's one of the big things we're trying to workshop in, in the scenarios thing in a couple of weeks is what to say and how to handle it. And sometimes it depends on what's, what's the balance of where you're working on. Is there an HR system in place that you're supposed to bring stuff to a certain person? If you see something happening, is it better to wait and just take screenshots so you can show them what's going on without jumping in right away? Usually, I think in the last one I did, we said it's gut reaction responses out loud with caps, probably the worst thing to do. Um, definitely sit on something if you see gut something and, and, and observe it. You know, but you know what I mean? Where you'll, you'll see no, people yeah. online and, La, 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 something slightly inappropriate said, Oh my God, I can't believe you're such a successful resident. And, yeah. and then this lovely unproductive thread happens, right? And then the trolling and, and, and God knows where it ends. It might not. It might go on for weeks. Learning how to be, <laughs> learning how to be an adult. I think it was, was one way to say it and how to properly respond. I think everyone's still learning the best way. And if there isn't a system in place, I think trying to step back, take a breath, if you can discuss if, if it's appropriate or if you think it won't hurt that person, talk to the person being harmed and be like, do I have permission to say something to stand up for you? That might be a way to approach it. Like, do do they not want someone standing up for them? Because what would be worse is if you go on this diatribe and turns out that oh no, uh, they would have preferred you never said anything and now you've got a horrible relationship with them. It depends. I hate to say that, but that's why I think these questions mm-hmm. are good, right? It's good yeah. to ask these questions because isn't it better to have this like, hmm, that's a great question, to have these actual discussions now than just sweeping under the rug. Well, well, it's easier just not to deal with it. Just let things continue, I guess. We'll just never bring it up because we're decades in in this being an industry and things are still happening because people would rather not discuss what to do, right. Then actually do something like, cause even discussing how to react, how important is that to have that little extra, even start of a conversation? Cause it makes them think like, Oh yeah. How would I react? What's right? I don't know. Maybe we should have, I don't know some some meetings about these types of things and talk about it i don't know whoa a discussion about sensitive issues yeah but yeah that's that's the big hurdle is not the the worst to do is not have the discussion about what to do in those cases and uh it's taken a while this is the first time i've been involved in even knowing that these types of roundtables have been starting to put together at conferences to talk people through these types of things and Oh, the one, the one we had two months ago was brutal. Uh, I think some people cried, you know, cause we, we talked about some things going on, but they were all really glad. And we had a lot of people write in after the panel saying, thank you for having this. Cause these are the things we need to start talking about. 
you know? Can I? It's not going to be fixed tomorrow, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, There's no like, well, obviously, Tangela, the answer is this. Here's a paragraph. Here's exactly it's, what you yeah. do. And it works in every situation. Yeah, no. no, it's like those people on the internet who see a video and they're like, oh, if I was this girl, I would have, and you're like, you, you weren't, you don't know her situation. You don't, you don't know anything like that. Like, that's the like, thing. You don't know, you don't know all the sides. And right. there are so many different examples that I would quote some, but I don't want to hurt anyone that I know it would be personal to. And those are things that I wouldn't put on a podcast with the exact person reference. Know what I mean? Where yeah. I would love to to bring some things up and be one of those, well, I know so-and-so first name, last name, here's their email went through this. And yeah, no, no, how? no, no. (laughs) But, uh, but these discussions and these conversations are important and more of them need to happen. How about more of like (laughs) the idea of, no, I was just thinking, okay. So like these, these particular conversations that you're talking about um, that that are happening, they're existing primarily in the world of video games. No, no, I mean, well, not, well, I this exact scenario examples, your specific s- scenarios are in the context of the video game world. Yes. So I want to ask this question with that in mind. Okay. So since I guess you've started and then the progression of these conversations coming to light and having more of these sort of open talks. Mm-hmm. Has there been an actual um, improvement in even like the smallest yes. amount of way? I will say yes. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Like when, when I first started, I was even told when I came in during a couple lunch chats with people at a company like, oh, well, this is just how it is. This is how the industry is. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. So we'll just, okay. But no. And even near the end of whenever I was at the company, they started having mandatory sexual harassment training. Like that's been a thing more companies have had where they bring in a person and they run through scenarios and things. More stuff's come to light. We didn't talk about like the race angle too, like not just gender. That's been a thing. People admitting more when you look around, if it's a hundred people at this point and only three people are African American or Hispanic, that's, that's a problem too. I mean, Sure, the female numbers are low, but are you solving it by only pulling in Caucasian women? Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not a good reference. That's, you got some other spots to fix. Yeah. And it reaches even beyond, uh, I do a lot of work in audio drama as well. And we had our first, I'm on the board for uh, NATF, which is the National Audio Theater Festivals. They do a lot of their festival focus, uh, Here Now Festival every year focuses on audiobooks, audio dramas. Aud- anything with vocals as a high thing, like podcasts, like yours. We had our first diversity and inclusion roundtable discussion. They'd never had one before, but they decided it was time. It was a good time in the industry everywhere to start having that discussion about what they, what can they do to reach more than just all the white folks? You know, we want to, br- they wanted to bring in more people from all spectrums and we, had a great roundtable. It was online because of COVID. And I'm glad because a lot of folks that wouldn't have normally been able to fly in were able to all come in from around the country and talk by opening the doors to discuss what's missing, right? And what needs fixed. We didn't anticipate that having something called diversity inclusion would not include just skin color. But turns out there's a gap in the industry where disabled folks 
are not represented as much. Folks with physical issues or disabilities were misrepresent, were underrepresented for jobs and being brought into things. And there was a fantastic duo of, of gentlemen who showed up and they said that was their biggest concern and they wanted to bring it in. And we were like, we we're so glad you came because we didn't even know there's this other niche that wasn't being represented. And you would think in an audio only field, that if you're on crutches or if you have palsy or something else, that that wouldn't be important. But when you're interviewing for jobs and meeting people in person, that can be a thing people, whatever. Meanwhile, your work ethic can be amazing. But if you're judged by what illness you have, that's a problem. So I was so glad that we we didn't have an agenda. We just said, here's an hour we've set aside. Bring what you want to talk about. And I think maybe that's a big solution. And what's been helping, I've seen more roundtables on schedules for things than panels. That's the open discussion format has been happening more and more because people, they don't want to just be told, here's exactly what we're talking about. It's better to have more of these group discussions and workshop type things where people bring up what's really bothering them that without that set agenda that doesn't list the thing that actually is wrong, right, allows folks to come forward. And what's nice is um, when you go to some of these online things, if you're scared, like maybe your boss is watching or someone else, you can be anonymous and put whatever picture you want as your head and bring up the issue you want to talk about and not worry about it being logged. And the roundtables, other than for logging purposes by the speaker, the best ones I've seen are the ones where they are not recorded. Because the fear of maybe you say something and lawyer so-and-so pants from your company's watching secretly, right? right? There's no concern about, you know, you can say what's really bothering you. And I think that's been a big shift in the last two years. That format is the best thing I've seen come up uh, as far as that positive swoop. Even beyond sexual harassment training, yeah, great. But going on to also opening the discussion more. And I've seen men bring up questions and stuff about the uh, the women treatment issues too. And it's good to see more of them feel confident, even if they don't show their face sometimes, right? To bring up that they also see things. I guess my, my, my final thing for you is um, I always like to ask people what great advice you would like to leave the humans with <laughs> <laughs> the it's like one or like one maybe not even advice like even like just one thing that you would like for people to just know even if it's not necessarily advice just one thing find what you really like to do because la 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 crazy life zombies and this and that and whatever and i'm like boop games right and just like that when i popped out and started my own company which Jeez, three and a half years of an LLC. Again, I'm like, how did that happen? I formed my own company. And at first I was like, I guess I'll just keep doing what I've been doing, which is everything sound. But once it was like, I can work on, I've been in long enough that I know what I like to do. I know what I can do. And I know what I know better people that I'd rather bring them on to do or pass stuff off to them. Once you've experimented with the industry and the world and you find what what really makes you passionate and that drives you and that you actually get something out of even start writing those things down for me like one day i just started writing like a little list on like a whiteboard 
It's like, here's all the stuff I've done in the last 10 years. But what do I actually like to do? And if you have side passion things, highlight some of those because you never know when that's going to feed into maybe what you do for a living. Like, heck, I, I never would have thought that part of stuff I do would involve singing on soundtracks and arranging choir and actually getting paid for that, not just for fun for ensembles and, and like the, the community things and performing in, in opera down here, but I'm arranging a choral piece right now that's going to go into a game soundtrack for a fun project coming up. And it's such a joy because I love choir. We talked about that. It's like, I love singing and I love working with comedic stuff. One reason I'm working on, it's a silly arrangement. I can't say what it's for yet because it's under NDA. But a reason I got that gig was because I have a side funny project I started over the last couple of years where I <laughs> I arrange video game music arrangements for a group of, uh, you know, the Muppet Show? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the singing chickens? Like there's usually a group of singing chickens, oh, yeah. uh, Camilla and like Gonzo's chickens. And I wrote a, I, I created a, a fake group called the Block Choir, B-W-A-K. They, they only sing the word block, like, you know, like that. A contact of mine remembered that I do that. And he's like, I've got this silly thing. It's got to be four-part harmony. And I thought of the Block Choir. Are you available? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so now I'm doing a silly arrangement because of that thing that I actually did for fun. Yeah. Right? And I've been a I've been a singing cat in a in a singing cat jazz trio for a VR game called um uh Cat Sorter VR, where you sort cats down a conveyor belt of like what's a cat and what's not a cat. It's the silliest thing. And I sang as a cat on that soundtrack again similarly because a friend of mine knew that I liked singing and I liked doing silly animal impressions. And I I meow through the thing. It's like a meowing singing like meow 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 like that. And I'm on this game now as a singing cat because they knew that I was kind of quirky and I like doing weird things and finishing audio design on a, a VR game for horror right now with like this HP Lovecraft type angle and like tentacles and stuff. And I got that job because, because of the zombie opera, because I have this past life as a fake blood smearing musical person. And I know my, my cheap horror and my spooky horror. And I know how to make the sound of, 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 body parts being stuck on spikes with the gooshes and everything (laughs) you know what I mean like and all that type of stuff and I know how to make scary noises and and that stood out for them as much on my resume as a past thing as much as working on I worked on I expect you to die which is a VR spy game so the VR element from that plus the actually liking to work in fake blood and horror put me on to one of my favorite projects this past couple years. So it's like remembering what you like and what you enjoy, whether it's the genre or the software or singing, or you like doing cat impressions, you never know. Just keep those highlighted in your mind and don't be afraid of putting those on your social media sometimes. You never know when someone's going to be like, I need something silly and that person's silly and they're also good to work with. I'm going to call that person. It's it's it, maybe that's it because like sure I could go back to being the person who's on eight things at the same time and jump in another thing but I've learned that I prefer to my folk my specialty specialties these days I'm like one third sound design but two thirds it's vocals and it's uh, 
working with or being the voice talent for things and arranging and, and prepping voice actor stuff and, and vocal stuff for, for games and audio drama. And that's where my passion's been. And it's, it's nice, but it took me that journey, right? To get there and to know what I like to do and also build up experiences and playing with the different things to know what, what, what works and what doesn't. And sure, not everything was perfect along the way, but I learned what to do with my degree and my experience. I don't know. No, that's no, great. Awesome. Well, I don't know. Is that good? So <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I, I mean, it's, it's what you gave me. So it has to be good. And it I don't know. It's there. Know? It's perfect. Like, Nothing's wrong with anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go that far. I just said it was great. You know? I mean, I'll take you great. Want to the word perfect. I'll take great. No, 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 no. I, I mix perfect. I, I will always be the first to admit that nothing I do is perfect. Perfection <laughs> is the enemy perfect. of good. Perfection is the enemy of joy. I think it's just the actual saying, isn't it? Uh, uh something like perfection that. Is the enemy of joy? Uh, it's it, or, it, perfection can be the enemy of productivity. I think that's one too, where someone can do seven thousand drafts of a thing. And it'll never be perfect, but then, and also then no one will ever see or hear it because it's, it's always in production. Giving, maybe that's another tip. Mm. Even on personal (laughs) projects, always like give yourself a deadline. Give yourself a, Hey, you know what? On this day, that's going out there. I don't care what it's just, that's what it's going to be. So I can pick up the next thing. That's, there you go. Boom. Merry Christmas. There you go, world. That's what I was working on. And either it's make that deadline for yourself or give you or find an excuse to have a deadline. Maybe there's like an online contest for something. Maybe there's a game jam coming up and everything has to be ready by this one date. You know, uh, just find a reason to give yourself a line in the sand and you can move it. I mean, come on. We all lie to ourselves on our deadlines, but but try. Right. Because then it gives you something to shoot forward and you can plan things out. If you say yourself, oh, I'm going to write the best symphony in the universe and it'll take however long it takes. Okay, maybe you have that luxury. But maybe if you're like, I'm going to write this short script for some really cool short film. I don't know. And I'm going to give it two months. Whatever it's at, I'll send it off to someone to check out then. Get feedback. That's the other thing. If you're going to be one of those people, get feedback. Let your peers who are honest with you, not just your mom, who's going to love everything you do, get learn people that you trust who will be honest with you if something needs fixed. Because when you apply to work for jobs and other actual paying things, they're not going to be your mom and be like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. It's completely perfect. But get some people who, who will be <laughs> sometimes mean, not mean, but... They'll be like, that's great, but be critical, be Be honest and critical and professional so you can learn to improve and fix things that you, you don't notice because you got to learn to take criticism, especially in creative fields, right? You got to learn how to adapt and adapt that criticism. And if you've never been criticized, it's going to hurt so bad the first time. It really is. I'm done. That's it. (laughs) I'll stop <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I mean, all the things you said was good. I mean, it was great. We're all solid, solid things that people should totally, totally hear. You know, I. But I was just thinking it's funny because you were like, "Hey, can we wait just like an hour and a half." I know. And then I'm stop you at an hour and a half, and now we're at like two hours. So I just posted that. I, was I really do need to stop at that one. That's why I'm like, I'm done. I'm so I. 
I have to switch gears. Anyways, I greatly appreciate you being on my show and I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And yeah, no, this was great.